Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Nearly 30 years ago now, I was in uh, Cairns with a, a mate of mine and we wanted to go whitewater rafting. And uh, we found a brochure that said on it, Foaming Fury. And at 19, that looked, sounded like a whole lot of fun. And so we rang them. It was the old days when you had to ring people before the internet, before the inter-Google, all right? And we rang them and uh, we said, hey, we'd like to go whitewater rafting tomorrow. And they said, look, we're not going rafting tomorrow. We're going kayaking tomorrow. It's more adrenaline. It's more fun. We think you guys will really like it. Uh, we're doing a staff training day tomorrow, but you're welcome to come along as our only guests for the day. And we said, sure, sign us up, we'll be there. We were pumped, we were excited. We got on the bus the next uh, morning, the bus from uh, Cairns to the rainforest. They told us every horror story of every broken bone, every rafting story gone wrong. And uh, by the time we got off the bus, we weren't sure, you know, we were really up for foaming fury, but we were too far in now. We hiked through the rainforest, we got to the river, and uh, they threw me and my mate Michael a kayak and said, here it is, here's your kayak, pump it up. And I looked to Michael and I said, mate, I don't like the way they said your kayak. It sounds like we're going to be in a kayak together and we're a pair of numpties. We've got no idea what we're doing. And he says, don't be ridiculous. There's eight staff here as if we're going to be in a kayak together. I was right and Michael was wrong. And we pumped up our kayak and they gave us three instructions. They said, uh, put a helmet on your head just in case you do fall out and you hit a rock with your head, this will protect your head. And then they uh, gave us a life jacket and they said, if you fall out and you hit your head really hard on the rock, it'll be good to have a life jacket on so that you'll float. And then they gave us a paddle and they said, this is your paddle. Do not let go of that paddle for the rest of the day. Hold on to that paddle for dear life. They're the only three things I actually knew already how to do. But they were the only three instructions that they gave us. And we got in our kayak and we started paddling down the river. And at first it was actually pretty easy. We were just meandering along. And it wasn't any foaming fury at all. And it was actually a little bit boring and a little bit disappointing. But then we went around a bend in the river and the river changed its tune. And it got a whole lot narrower and the water's moving a lot faster and there's a whole lot more rocks. And we were paddling relentlessly. Like we just didn't stop for 10 or 15 minutes. And even after 10 or 15 minutes, we were tired. We were exhausted. It was relentless. But we were going okay. Now I, I said to Michael, we're pretty good at this. We might actually make the Olympic kayaking team. And they told us to paddle into this still bay of, of water and just take a rest from the relentless rapids, get something to eat. And then we looked further down the river and we saw the foaming fury. The water just was going a million miles an hour and then we saw the water actually disappear 
over a waterfall. They said, we just need to stop and replenish, get some food into us. And they gave us some instructions about what to do to navigate the foaming fury. They said, look, you're in the back. You'll be in control of steering this kayak. And so when you get to that rock, you've got to paddle really hard to the left. When you get to that channel of rocks up there, you've got to dig your paddle into the right to make sure you go through the channel. When you get to that rock uh, over there, that rock is called kiss your backside, goodbye rock. If you go around the wrong side of that rock, you know what you'll be doing. And you won't be coming home with us later today. Well, we started off, and I'm paddling really hard to the left, and I'm digging my paddle into the right, got to the next rock, and I totally forgot whether I'm supposed to be paddling right, paddling left, digging it in, and I had no idea what we did. We got to what to do next. We got to that rock, and we went around the wrong side of that rock, and we got to the waterfall, and we're wedged on the rock, and we're actually looking backwards, wedged on the rock over the waterfall. At that point, I'd never been so scared in all my life and I threw my paddle over the waterfall that thing that we were supposed to hold on to for the rest of the day and I decided I'm getting out I don't want to do this anymore and so I started climbing out of the kayak onto the rock Michael who still had his paddle in his hand is hitting me over the head with his paddle and screaming at me to get back in the kayak all of the tour guides are screaming at me to get back in the kayak eventually my fear calmed down I got back in the kayak we went over the waterfall backwards we lived to tell the tale and neither of us ever made the Olympic kayaking team you know sometimes life you know we're just meandering along we kind of know what's going to happen next it's pretty simple it's pretty breezy and kind of we're just meandering along although I'm not sure too many of us have meandered for the last two years in the last two years we're kind of not sure what's going to happen next We're not kind of sure, you know, what uh, obstacle we're going to have to work around. There hasn't been a whole lot of meandering. And sometimes life is actually quite relentless. It's just like, feels like we're just working hard all the time, just trying to keep afloat. And it's relentless. And it's tiring. I don't know whether the last couple of years or this, this last season for you has actually been a season of relentless life. And you're a little tired, you're a little weary. And then there's other times in life where it just feels like the world is spinning out of control and we want to get off this ride. Our prayer life actually stands to stand like, God, help me escape. God, get me out of this. God, I don't want this anymore. God, change this now. And we're just not kind of sure which way is up. And we're fearful of the future. And we just prefer to escape and get out. I don't know what life feels like for you right now. I don't know whether you are actually just meandering along and confident of the future. I don't know whether you've just been a season of being quite relentless and you're a little weary, a little tired, just hope you get a breath at some point. 
or whether you're just tired of the constant change and right now you're actually a little bit fearful of the unknown, you're a little bit fearful of the future. Whatever it is that's going on in your life right now, there's two words that God's got to say to all of us. It's simply, be still. In fact, there's a bit more, a few more words in the verse. It says, be still and know that I am God. You see, this has been a strange time that we've been living through. It's not the first time in life people have felt like the world is spinning out of control. And many, many years ago, God got some guys, a group of guys called the Sons of Korah, to write a song of what to do when it feels like the world's spinning out of control and you're fearful of the future, you're fearful of the unknown, when nations are in uproar and it feels like the water is surging all around you and you're not sure what's going to happen next. They wrote a song, it's in the Bible, it's called Psalm 46. I'm going to read it to us right now. It says, God is our refuge and He's our strength. He's our ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even when the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, we will not fear. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Just go back to those first four words for a minute. God is our refuge. You know, when life gets relentless, we all find refuge in something. You know, some, some of us find refuge in a bottle. Some find refuge in binge eating. Some find refuge in binge watching on Netflix. You know, some find you know, refuge in online shopping. Some find other refuges online, online uh, porn. Some you know, go into a world of online gaming and, and technology. You know, others actually find refuge in, in exercise. Some find refuge in just completely withdrawing from people. Not all of those things are bad things. But they're all temporary refuges. They're temporary comforts. And if it's those refuges you keep running to, what you'll find over time is that they're never enough. There's always more that you need to find the comfort and the peace, the refuge that you require. And what God is saying in this psalm is that I am your refuge when life is relentless. Now when we hear the word refuge, we kind of understand a refuge is a place of shelter, a place of protection, 
a place you know, where we're safe when the storm is going on around us. For the first people reading this psalm, when they heard that word refuge, the immediate thing they would have thought of was a city of refuge. You see, they lived in quite a tough justice system. It was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. If you gouge someone's eye out, you better get used you know, to, uh, to walking around with a glass eye because your eye was about to get gouged out too. If you knock someone's tooth out playing footy, ring the dentist straight away because your tooth was getting knocked out next. If you killed someone, if you took someone's life, there was no trial by jury, there was no fancy defence lawyer, what would happen is the family of the person's life that you took would appoint a blood avenger. Now it sounds like a cool name for a heavy metal band, blood avenger, but there's absolutely nothing cool about being chased by a blood avenger. Their role, the responsibility of their role in the family was to chase you down and take your life and avenge the blood of their family member. And so when you heard a blood avenger chasing you, they were hot on your heels, the smartest thing that you could do would be to run to a city of refuge you see, it was a tough justice system, but God has always been a God of mercy and grace, not just in the New Testament, but the Old Testament. And so what he did in the midst of this ju tough justice system was he appointed six cities of refuge where the people of Israel lived, just conveniently dotted around the area. And, and if you had killed someone and it was an accident, you didn't mean to, you're both chopping wood together, your axe head flew off, hit them in the head, they had an axe sticking out of them, and they died. You didn't mean to, a complete accident. You could run to that city of refuge. And by law, that city had to open their gates to you. They had to let you in and protect you. They had to provide you with refuge while you pleaded your case, while you told your story of what actually happened. And if the high priest in that city decided that you were actually innocent of that crime, they actually decided you weren't guilty but you were innocent, then they would keep you safe in that city. They would protect you in that city from the blood avenger, from your, from your sins catching up with you. But this is the, the cool bit. Now remember this is written, this law system was written 1400 years before Jesus. Now I'm not going to read all about a city of refuge, but I just want to read just one verse from Numbers chapter 35. And it says this, the accused must stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Only after the death of the high priest may they then return to their own property. You see, while the whole priest was alive and had pronounced them not guilty, they were safe in that city of refuge, they were protected from death. But when the high priest died, they could actually return safely to their property. They could receive the fullness of their inheritance 
once again. We have a great high priest. We have a great high priest. His name is Jesus. And when we confess our sins to him, he pronounces us not guilty. And our great high priest died. Our great high priest shed his blood in your place. You see, on the cross, Jesus, our great high priest, once and for all, shed his blood to protect you from death, to take away what's once separated you from your rightful inheritance. And when you confess your sins to Jesus and you ask him to forgive you, you are free to receive the fullness of your inheritance, a son and a daughter of God. And nothing will ever separate you from the love of God at any time, again, in all of eternity. Can someone just say an amen and say, Jesus is a great high priest? It's good news. And there's some of you here tonight and you're kind of wondering, you know, can we really trust what this Bible says? Can we really trust these words? I tell you, God has organized all these different people across centuries, different nationalities, different places, different times, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write one story that all points to Jesus. Now, God is good. He's got good news for every one of us. His word gives us hope today and for all of eternity. What we see is a God of mercy and grace working through all of history to give all of humanity a guaranteed eternity. You see, God's saying, I'm like that city of refuge. I'm a place of refuge for you. I love the little hyphenated word in that first verse. He's our refuge and strength, and then he's our ever-present help in times of trouble. You see, God's not just conveniently dotted around in six convenient places for you to run to him. Through the blood of Jesus, anyone, anywhere, anytime can run into the open arms of God. And just like they had to open the gates of that city to let you in, God's arms are always open because you've got a great high priest named Jesus who shed his blood, paid for your sin and made a way for you to come into the ever-present arms of God and find help every day in your times of trouble. Stop running to temporary refuges. Stop running to temporary comforts. Run into the arms of God. He is our refuge when life is relentless. He's our ever-present help in times of trouble and he's our strength. God is stronger than whatever has you scared. Let's read this verse 2, scary situation. He says, Therefore we will not fear even if the earth gives way, even if the thing we trust the most gives way under our feet. 
and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. The strongest thing that we look at actually falls into the heart of the sea. It crumbles away. Even if the most stable thing falls away, the strongest thing, you know, loses its, uh, its power. And uh, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, we will not fear. You see, we have a God who is stronger than whatever has you scared. You see, sitting at the top of that waterfall, looking down into the unknown, I was scared. I wanted to escape. I wanted to get out of there. And some of us have got some situations in our life right now or some situations that we're looking at into the future, some unknowns into the future, and it's causing us anxiety and fear and we want to escape. It might be a situation in your marriage or in your family and you're going, this is too hard right now, I just want to escape, I want to get out. It might be a situation in your study or in your, in your workplace and it's just a hard grind right now and right now you're just going, God, get me out. And some of you, you've actually got a call on your life. There's a future that God's got planned for you. But you're looking at the unknowns in the future and you're paralyzed by fear and you're just wanting to stay right where you are. You see, if you had have spoken to that 19-year-old boy who was sitting backwards looking over that waterfall stuck on that rock wanting to escape, if you had have asked him, what was the thing he was most scared of? You know what I would have said? Speaking in public. Paralyzing me with fear. I knew God had called me to go to Bible college and to study for ministry. But the fear of speaking in front of people paralyzed me with fear for two years. Now the ridiculous thing is today, 30 years later, it's the thing I love the most. You know, I have the incredible privilege of leading this great church and, and leading a movement of churches across Queensland. I feel incredible privilege to do it. I feel called to do it is the reason that I do it. But the thing that actually just gives me great joy is this. Standing in, in front of people, opening God's word, pointing people to Jesus. It's the thing I still live for. It's the thing I still love. But fear almost robbed me of that joy. And there's some of us here in this room, there's a future that God's got for you, but right now it's unknown and you can't predict how it's going to walk, work out. And not all of us are supposed to stand on stages and speak, but, but all of us have a unique calling from God to actually be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece in a broken world, to see this world redeemed and healed you know, by the good news of Jesus Christ. And some of us right now, whether you're 19, 29, 39, or 109. I'm not sure if there's anyone here that's 109. You're looking at the future and you're paralyzed by fear because it's unknown. And what God wants to say to you tonight is that He is stronger. It's the reason we don't fear because God is stronger than whatever has us scared. Even when the earth feels like it's dropped out from beneath us, 
God is stronger than whatever's got us scared. But God's not just a distant God. God is actually our source of strength. He actually comes to us by His Spirit. He actually comes close and He dwells us. He says, I actually want to be your source of strength. I want to give you strength. Let me read a couple more verses in Psalm 46. It says, there's a river. Everyone say river. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall, but He lifts His voice and the earth melts. You see, you need to understand back then when, when they were going through you know, national upheaval, when there was, city, some, there was another city fighting against them or another nation fighting against them. It actually wasn't their spears and their bows and their javelins that they were most scared of because they could lock themselves in their city. They could close all their gates and they could live behind their walled city. The thing that they were most scared of is that the attacking nation would actually cut off their water supply, their source of life. You see... You can actually go 40 days without food. Now put your hand up if you've gone for the last 40 days since Christmas without food. Anybody in this room. We've constantly found our way to replenish our bodies with food. But you could go 40 days without food and survive. You can actually go 10 days without sleep and survive. I wouldn't recommend it. It's not a good idea. It's not good for you. There's been scientifically proven you could go 10 days without sleep and survive. My son went for seven days without changing his undies. Again, I wouldn't recommend it. He had some special Spider-Man undies. He'd watch the movie. Now he wanted me to let you know that he was eight years old. It was a different Spider-Man movie. But we were driving across the desert and we had to conserve our water because there wasn't much water, but he survived seven days without changing his undies. Anyone else done that? Just show it. No, I don't, I don't want to know. But you can only go three days without water before you die. Water is our source of life. Water is what keeps us alive. Without water, we die. And what God is saying here in this psalm, He's saying, I am your river. I am your source of life. I am the one that will come and give you life and I will not fail. I, because my source of life will not fail, you will not fall. God is not just stronger than what has you scared right now, but he's your source of strength. And this is important. God is not looking around the world for strong people to fulfill his purposes. God is looking around the world for people to give strength to, to fulfill his purposes. He's looking for humble people. He's looking for people who know what he's called them to. He's too big in and of themselves. He's looking around the world for people who say, God, come and strengthen me 
because I can't do this in my own strength. God is our source of strength. None of us forget to replenish our bodies, but some of us forget to replenish our souls. And none of us are called to simply put our faith in Jesus, turn up here and uh, you know, be part of a church until we die and go to heaven. If you're following Jesus, you're actually called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and minister to people the way that Jesus did. And throughout his whole ministry, Jesus ministered to people who were going through a storm. People who are going through a financial storm, a relational storm, a physical storm, a spiritual storm. And he, and he ministered to them in their moment of need. And he, he welcomed the lonely, he cared for the poor, he fed the hungry, he gave strength to the weak. He expended himself on behalf of people, but then he withdrew. He withdrew into that still, quiet place with his father where he would replenish his soul and he would get his marching orders for what he was called to do in ministry. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what he tells me to do. You see, God's not looking for strong people, but he is looking for people to give strength to. And your family needs you to be strong. You know, whether you're a brother, a sister, a son, daughter, a husband, wife, your family needs you to be strong. You know, when people are going off the rails, when relationships are, are tense and people just want to escape, you know, God wants to give you strength to endure. Because He loves families, He loves relationships. And our world out there needs you to be strong. Because there's so much need out there right now. There's so many hurting people. There's so many people living without hope. And as followers of Jesus, we're the people to take his hope and his healing and his strength, his wisdom, his love, his grace to people. Our world needs you to be strong. Gee, God says, be still and I'll give you my strength. You know, every year I talk about this black milk crate at the start of the year and I'm going to do it again at the start of this year because I know if you'll actually do it, it'll change your life. I, I go and sit on this milk crate somewhere every day and just be still with God. And some people over the years have said, Jason, you know you're a pastor and you're stealing a milk crate off the milk company. And I've been mildly you know, convicted about that. I was telling the story at a men's camp for another church last year. And a guy came up to me and said, don't worry, I've got you covered. I own a company that makes milk crates. I'm going to send you a supply. These are my personal milk crates. I've not stolen them from any milk company. And none of you lot are touching them. But I sit on my milk crate because it's not very comfortable and it keeps me awake. And I'd be still with God. Let me just tell you what to do 
You, you, you might want to worship, you might want to pray, you might want to read your Bible, you might want to do all of those things. But just let me, just tell me three things that I think are really important in this season. See, to be still means you've actually got to stop doing one thing and start doing another. It's a command from God. I'm saying, I want you to stop doing this and I want you to start doing that. So what he's saying is, I, I want you to stop running after temporary refuges that'll never be enough for you. I want you to stop running from what has you scared and trying to escape from your calling. And, and I want you to stop just running relentlessly and letting your tank run dry and ending up spiritually empty. I want you to stop doing that and I want you to start being still. I want you to simply come and run into my presence, run into my arms. Stop running away, stop running to other things and be still. I'm your prayer present help in times of trouble. The next part of the verse says, be still and know that I am God. And so there's something that we have to stop thinking and there's something that we have to start knowing. So if you're thinking, Man, I don't have time to waste with God. I've just got to keep going. Everything relies on me. I just got to, you know, keep doing uh, what I got to keep doing. I, I just got to keep giving all my time to other things. It all depends, you know, on me. That's wrong thinking. You stopped following Jesus because Jesus is a good shepherd, and Jesus leads us beside still waters. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He restores our soul. And so what we've got to do when we've got wrong thinking, we've got to start knowing who God really is and what he says. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, it says, We don't wage war as the world uh, wages war, but we've been given new weapons to fight with. And what we've got to do is we've got to take hold. Can you just get 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 up on the screen for me? I can't remember it word for word. It says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So thinking that's coming against the knowledge of God and we take that thinking captive and we make it obedient to Christ. That's what God's saying. Be still and know that I am God. So anything that is, that is going against that knowledge of God, we've got to take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so if you're looking at your unknown future, you're looking at what God's calling you to do to follow him, you're looking at what it means to live a surrendered life to Jesus, and maybe some of you, you know, are here going, is it really worth it? Can I really do it? This is too big, it's too hard. You take hold of that thought, and you know that God says to you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Remember, God's not looking for strong people. He's looking for people to give strength to, to fulfill his purposes. And if you're looking at the future and you're going, there's just no hope, this is never going to change, it's hopeless, it'll never happen. You've got to take hold of that thought and you've got to make it obedient to Christ. Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God of our Father, the God 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. That's the truth. If you're following Jesus, there's always hope because it's living and he's defeated death. He's come back from the dead. It's a resurrected hope. It'll never leave you. It'll never finish. It'll never run out. See, to be still, you've got to stop doing one thing and start doing another. To know that I am God, you've got to stop thinking one thing and start knowing what God thinks. And then lastly, the verse says, I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in all the earth. I'm going to hit a few raw nerves here maybe. But we've got to stop worrying and start worshipping. To be exalted means lifted up, put in his proper place. We've got to stop whinging about what the government is or isn't doing, about all that's going on with COVID. And we've got to start telling the world about how good Jesus is. I've seen too many followers of Jesus get so passionate about the COVID debate and I'm thinking, where is that same passion to tell the world how good Jesus is? Just stop worrying, stop whinging and start worshipping. I actually think one of the good things that's going to come out of this season, and God is bringing good things out of COVID. I'm not saying God brought COVID, but he brings good things out of every situation. One of the good things he's doing in me, one of the good things I think he's doing in the wider church is that he's calling his people first and foremost back to ministry to the Lord before ministry for the Lord. He's calling his people back to a place of just hunger for his presence, a devotion to prayer and worship, a choice to exalt God among the nations in every season of life. This has been a hard reset for me because I'm such an action person. I love doing stuff. God's calling me back to this still place, this place of worship, this place like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, choosing to do what is better to worship him and listen to his voice and let everything flow out of that. To be still means to stop doing one thing and start doing another. To know that I am God means to stop thinking one thing and actually start knowing what God thinks and to choose to exalt him among all other things. little challenge this year, find your own milk crate or a place to sit Spend 22 minutes a day in 2022. There's a lot of things you do in 22 minutes. You can watch an episode of Home and Away in 22 minutes. Without ads, it goes for 22 minutes. You can scroll a lot of Instagram pages in 22 minutes. We've all got 22 minutes. What if this year, Every one of us chose to spend 22 minutes just being still with God. It changed this church. 
We might just see Jesus start to change our community. It was a good idea for Jesus, maybe then it's a good idea for us, you know, and he was facing the greatest storm in his life the night before he died. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see Jesus in his humanity. And Jesus actually says to his father, I want to escape. I want to climb out. (laughs) There's got to be another way. We never see the humanity of Jesus, I don't think, any more clearly than on that night before he died and he cries out to his father, take this cup from me. Take this from me. Take this pain from me. I want to escape. And the father said no. But instead he sent an angel from heaven to strengthen him to endure the cross. And thank God he did. Because Jesus endured the cross, it secured your eternal salvation. Jesus needed to be still with his father to receive the strength that he needed to endure the future. Now sometimes our prayers are just escape, 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 I want to get out. And sometimes God miraculously intervenes in a moment. But there's many times he says, hey, I'm here, run into my arms and I'm going to give you the strength to endure. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.